Welcome to The Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B-Squared and the host of The Sendcast, the podcast for special needs. Each week we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide supports to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In this episode, one of our regular guests, Alison Knowles, returns and we're discussing self-harm and what drives young people to self-harm. Before we get started, have you heard of the Virtual Send Conference? This is a conference we started running in 2019 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable, easy to access, and allows you to deliver CPD to the whole school around SEND. It runs every year over the internet, but you can watch the sessions whenever you need to as they are always available on demand. For more information, visit www.trainingforeducation.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving you an exclusive discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we are discussing what drives youngsters to self-harm. Joining me today is Alison Knowles. Alison is back and she is the creator of the Ollie Model, the author of the series of Ollie and his Superpower books, trainer of Ollie Coaches, many other things Ollie related, and an emotional therapist. Welcome to the show, Ali. Nice to see you again. Thanks for having me. Before we got started, I've been looking into self-harm on the Mind website. And on there, they state that self-harm is when you hurt yourself as a way of dealing with very difficult feelings, painful memories, or overwhelming situations and experiences. And after self-harming, you may feel a short-term sense of release, but the cause of your distress is unlikely to have gone away. Absolutely agree. Mine's a fantastic website. If uh, you know, if this this is quite an emotive podcast, so it's a really good website as a go-to for anyone out there worried about their youngsters. I'm going to start with a quite a big question: Does self-harm lead to suicide? That's like saying, does HIV lead to AIDS? It can. That's the thing. So some people, my child self-harming, are they going to kill themselves? Is it, a, is it a big jump or is it a step? With everything else, and you're used to me now, and, and my take on therapy and, and our model is everybody's so unique. The answer to that is it could be if the reasons for self-harming don't get that individual to a better place they're probably self-harming as a last resort, so then potentially it could. They are two different animals with two different things that you need to be aware of and look out for. But yes, arguably they could, but not always, no. Self-harming isn't about wanting to kill yourself per se. That's not the intent of self-harming. So in that respect, they're different. But the, the, the point of self-harming is, as mine very beautifully and eloquently put, just help with an overwhelming sensation, belief, emotion, when it gets too big, it's, it interrupts it. If it doesn't, and that is, you know, quite a long way down your list of all I can try to make myself feel better, who knows? And that's what we need to be aware of. Someone's self-harming, I'd be very aware of that, and we train our therapists to be aware. So when we talk about self-harming, people often think of cutting. What else will people be doing? What else is in, under the umbrella of self-harm? A myriad of things. Any, anything physical that you're doing to yourself. And, and the key there is it is physical. The reason that people self-harm is because there's an overwhelming emotion or a belief thing going on and you can't actually get hold of that and do anything with it, but you can deal with something physical. So, yeah, cutting's an obvious one. Burning, pinching, 
pulling hair out of your eyebrows, eyelashes, that kind of thing. You see it an awful lot, or I do, so it's it's not a, you know, this is a bit of, sound like a generalisation, and again, parents will know when their children are doing it. Uh, with the guys I work with on the spectrum, so many of them either hitting themselves in the head or hitting their head against the wall, it's a form of self-harm as well. Do they recognise it as self-harm? Probably not. What they recognise it is as a means to an end. It's a release, it's an escape. Yeah. So is it a case of, by causing pain, the pain comes to the top and it blocks out everything else? Is it that sort of thing, or is it a feeling after the pain? Everything in therapy is about stopping the story that someone's stuck in. We interrupt the pattern. And an easiest way, pattern interrupt. You know when you've got a toddler and they're kicking off and you pull a funny face or make a funny noise or wave a rattle? You've distracted them. In that instance you've distracted them, they stop crying. Because you can't have a negative and a positive emotion. With self-harming, when you talk to the guys, or I talk to the guys that are self-harming, and, you know, we're talking young kids now, unfortunately, as well as our teenagers who are going through hell, for that instance, they've taken something that isn't tangible and they can't touch or feel. So maybe it's a belief about themselves, self-worth, huge emotional overload. You can't take that out and do anything with it. It's not physical, so you can't actually do anything malleable with it. So actually physically harming yourself makes that almost real so that you can do something with it and have some sense of control. And in that second, when you're cutting yourself... You've made it physical, you have control, you can feel the pain and you can control the level of that pain. So in that instance, you're controlling the level of the pain. So that's going on. So it's a control thing. But at the same time, while you're concentrating on the fact, damn, that really hurt, you're not thinking about those overwhelming emotions. So for a very brief period, they'll feel a little bit better. The problem with it is, it's like all things. We were talking in another podcast about, you know, anxiety and taking pills. If you take a pill to stop the anxiety, that might work for a little while, but it'll get to the point where the pill's ineffective. So then you need to take a bigger pill and a bigger pill. So what tends to happen is we have this circle. So children don't set out to self-harm, although we'll come on to trends and things. But if they have established, however they've got to that point, and social media has an awful lot to do with that, that if I cut myself, it relieves this feeling that I can't even voice if I had someone to voice it to, and this this sense of being overwhelmed, it relieves it. So that's what I'm going to do, because then, if you think about a circle, at the top of the circle we put overwhelmed. So then I cut myself, and I don't feel quite as overwhelmed. I feel better for a little while. Then I feel bad again, so now I need to cut myself again. But I need to really feel it this time. And you tend to get into the circle of need, and that's, that's, that's when it gets really, really dangerous, because obviously... You know, a, a slight scratch on the arm might be enough to... But you get to the point where self-harming can indirectly cause much greater damage. Is self-harming a young person thing? Do adults self-harm? Yeah, absolutely. Um, or is it a case of lots of younger people self-harm because they can't access alcohol or other substances? Oh, they can. Don't be fooled. Oh. I, I, hate to frighten, I hate to frighten people, but uh, I had a young chap in, in my therapy room not so long ago. He's only about nine years old. And uh, we were, I don't know how we got onto the subject, but he asked me if I smoke. And, you know, I stay, I don't share my world with the kids, but I said, well, actually I do. Well, you know, it was an interesting thing to ask me. And he said, 
Cigarettes are really expensive. I can get you stuff that the grown-ups smoke much cheaper from the playground. So don't, you know, keep an eye out, peeps. They're not that naive, and I don't know many teens that... But no, it's, it's, I think it's more prevalent, or certainly from what I'm seeing and, and my therapist, because obviously when uh, I was looking at what's happening in my therapy room, I checked with the guys that I train, and they're getting the same thing. There's an awful lot of self-harm eating disorders at the moment. And the prevalence is in teens, not just teens. So we're talking eight, nine, sometimes younger. But teens, I'd say, was the, the main area. But adults as well. I think, I think the reason we see it more in teens is because, unfortunately, YouTube's brilliant if you need to change a washer on the tap. But there are channels on there that will teach you how to do a myriad of things. And not only that, but they glamorise it. So I was just wondering if self-harm goes on teenagering, because is that really drug misuse and alcohol misuse is self-harm in some ways? There's, there's direct self-harm and indirect. So, yeah, that's a really good point. So direct self-harm would be me actually cutting myself or doing one of the other things that I've mentioned. Indirect self-harm is the fact I do smoke. I used to play rugby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm into risky activities and sports. Some people would argue that that is indirect self-harm. I think it's in some ways, alcoholism in this country is quite socially acceptable. On a Friday night in the local town, getting drunk, can't remember, so on. We all do it, so it's fine. So is it a case of we, a move from... No, I don't think we've moved from it. I think, uh, do you know, how many, how many children, and we're talking youngsters and young teenagers, can actually access enough alcohol or a bottle of vodka to make it go away? They probably can't, or drugs. But what they can access is something sharp. And I was, what was interesting is um, my daughter's in year 11 and, and she is uh, someone who will not drink or drive or do anything. She's a very much, she's not prim and proper, but she's just got these beliefs. That, nope, I'm never going to do that. But her friends drink. Not a little bit. Not a sip of glass. They get drunk. And I sit here going, wow, you're in secondary school and you are out going to get drunk. Why? And you sit and go, Oh, yeah, you're at secondary school. You're a teenager. <laughs> you're in secondary school. So self-harm, in theory, we're talking about the direct self-harm, aren't we, but mainly on this one? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think, you know, all of us are aware and, you know, if we think about it too much, we wouldn't do anything. But I think the thing that we probably need to talk about is the direct self-harm and we need to look at why and try and get an understanding of why and it will be completely different for everybody else. Things to look out for. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I, I hear it all the time, oh, well, that's just a cry for help, little scratch on the arms, cry for help. Well, that little scratch on the arm might be the first cut. And we'll go back to what I was talking about, the circle. That little scratch might be enough to frighten them. Oh, my God, I'm doing this. That would interrupt the pattern, but also it would hurt. So that first scratch, is it a cry for help? Arguably, occasionally, sometimes. But one thing I have noticed, and again, this is all about making everybody, I don't want to put the fear of God in parents or teachers. The lovely thing is there's an awful lot that teachers are doing now as part of their PHSE to be aware of things that are changing within a child to notice. But I've never seen a child that's genuinely self-harming that has cut themselves somewhere I can see when they're sat with me in my therapy room. So, you know, it's not going to be on the hands because unless they wear gloves, which I would question. So they tend to cut where you're not likely to see it. And the things to look out for is, you know, if you suddenly find that you've got a girl or boys that don't want to be in communal changing rooms all of a sudden, there'll be a reason. And, you know, is it self-harming? Is it, 
But it's a reason. And anything like that, any change of behaviour, you need to just watch and question. Someone who's suddenly wearing long, only wearing long sleeve tops or not wearing skirts or shorts. Absolutely. That, that's one of the ways I know. We, we, we had, it's, we had, it's the change you're looking for, isn't it? It's not that she just wears. It's like, no, it's, it's got to be a change. change. And, and, and parents are best place to notice this. And a lot of teachers are really good at noticing it as well. A while ago, very worryingly, I'd say just before COVID hit proper, I had an influx of self-harmers come to the therapy room and parents were pulling their hair out. Oh, my God, my child started self-harming now. It's right, you know, everybody in the school self-harming. And, and these young girls and boys would turn up. Interestingly, more young girls than boys. And they would go, yeah, look, I'm self-harming. Show me the hand. And it was this sense of I'm self-harming too. And, and that, there was a myriad of things going on there. So it's a bit of a it's, this is true until it's not statement. But that was a case of what, what did that actually give them? All behaviour serves a purpose and has a positive intent. So what did that actually give them? Um, for some, it was, oh, look, I self-harm too. And the teachers are all worried about them, a little bit more gentle. Mum and dad were climbing the walls. and You can have this, we'll buy you this, stop doing that. So we, we, had, a real, we had a real run. And again, not just me, because I check in with my other therapist to see, you know, is it just me? Am I unlucky where I live or something? It's like living in midsummer murders where I am. I'm thinking, is it just me or is it everybody else? No, it's everybody else. And they would say, no, we're the same thing. They're not really, so they're not cutting. They're, you know, they're scratching, but very visually. And I think we need to mention the word TikTok here. TikTok is rife for trends. So, yes, self-harming has been a trend. And again, just to be clear, there are those who self-harm. And as you just said, there are those who self-harm. Two different camps. There's a very popular thing on TikTok over the last year about having Tourette's and ticks and people doing fund me pages. Go fund me because I've got Tourette's. And they're like, and you see you've got all this war and there's also, with autism, is because people are saying they've got autism and they haven't, you can't say you've got autism unless you have diagnosis. You haven't got diagnosis, you're not. It's just... I, I think, you know, unfortunately, I think that has always been the case where people jump on the bandwagon for one reason or another. Historically, you, your vision of the bandwagons around you was quite limited. But now you can be a, jump on a bandwagon anywhere in the world and jump on it. And these get momentum which gets dangerous. And I think you've got the guys that are directly self-harming because it's the only way they can cope. And then you have this other thing going on, and it is, I hate to say it, it's social media where you've got, you know, these stunning models that are a size six and bulimic and, currently, you know, and the girls want to look like them because if you don't look like them, you don't belong. And I know we're going to do a podcast on identity and belonging shortly, so I don't want to go too far down that road. But again, there's different reasons for people damaging their bodies for different ways, but the ones that I want to focus on and the ones that I think we need to be really aware of and just keep our minds open to are the guys that are doing it not notice me because they don't want you to know. They're keeping they're, it they're hidden. They're full of shame. You know, we talk about my circle, you know, they, they feel this horrible feeling, they cut themselves, they feel slightly better, then they feel really bad because they've just done something like that. What will mum think? What will dad think? I'm letting everybody down. I'm not good enough. I can't cope. We'll self-harm again to make that pain go away and off we go again. It's a spiral. They're the guys we need to worry about, not the ones that are doing fads and trends, because they always will, whether it's, you know, standing in the back garden and let someone pour a bucket of ice over your head, not Shame making light of it, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is. That's the thing. And when you sit there going, oh, they self-harm, you sit there going, right, so are you on the TikTok trend? Or because the fact you're sharing it with me almost is like it is a TikTok trend. But you'll, you'll have other other kids. You know, it takes takes a while, even for me. I, I think we're really good at building rapport with young people. That's why we've got the reputation we have with family work, young people. 
But, you know, as a therapist, I, you know, we do an awful lot on safeguarding. We have to. We have to be alert. And and somebody will be sat opposite me and they're chatting away to me and I'm listening to their words. I'm listening to what they're not saying. I'm li- watching every movement. But I'm also noticing if their dress sense has changed, they're suddenly wearing more baggy clothes. What's that about? They don't want me to see their body weight. Or is it just they like wearing tracksuits? So you can't judge. So again, remember in a previous podcast, I was talking about fishing rods. So I have in my head, there's a possibility that this little one is self-harming, either cutting themselves, doing something physical, or, you know, they've got themselves lost in an eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia, um, but I don't know. So I'm just going to put more rods out there with gentle questioning to find out what's going on, because first and foremost, I've got to make sure they're safe. And there's no getting away from this, okay? You might just cut yourself the once, and it's not too deep and you're okay, but there are so... What if that blade's not clean? That's the fear. And so the first point, rightly or wrongly, when I realise that someone is self-harming and cutting, I make I don't say stop it. I've just dismissed them. They found something that works. My first thought is, look, I am not in any way condoning what you're doing, but you need to be very aware that, yes, that pain might make you feel a bit better, but you now have an open wound. Are you sure that what you created that open room with was clean? Do you have access to disinfectants and stuff so that you can clean the wound afterwards? Because it's not about infecting the wound they're not about making the wound infectious it's about the pain so they don't think about that so first and foremost rightly or wrongly you know i'm I'm not i'm not going to sit here and tell you not to do it i know you are doing it you know you're doing it i need you to still be alive and not in hospital with septicemia next week when we've got another appointment so i am not condoning and i have to make that very clear Obviously, I can go watch a TikTok video and go, that looks fun. I could be one of them and start self-harming. But you've also mentioned like they might scratch themselves and go, oh, that gave me a bit of a wake-up. And that was a uh, – I forgot about it. I was like, oh, is it some people stumble along self-harming on their own and start doing it, which is why they're ashamed? Or is it a case of they've seen it somewhere else and that's made them? Have you ever got so angry you've punched a wall? No, because that makes no sense to me. Okay, so you're a logical brain. But a lot, a lot of people will relate to what I'm saying. We've all done that, haven't we? There's no thought behind it. I'm so angry, I'm just going to go and kick the door, I'm going to punch the door, I'm going to I'm going to do something. In that instant, you don't think. But in that instant, whatever you've done has created a physical reaction. It's hurt your fist or your foot. And in that instant, you're not thinking about whatever it was that just wound you up because now you're thinking, that really hurt. Yeah. It's the same thing. So I think with access to social media... And because it's talked about a lot more and openly, which is a double-edged sword, it needs to be so that children can be safe and educated and people know what they're looking for. But it also, you know, it's something else that the children can do if, you know, it's another go-to. But I think an awful lot of them, you know, they may have heard about someone who self-harm and it might just be, I don't like myself, I'm going to cut my and off they go that way so there's a myriad of reasons as to why they do it i think there's a, a lot of information out there and it's not always helpful no. because nobody ever mentions and and the reason i mentioned it and i again i'm not trying to put the fear of god in people but i had a youngster um who did get septicemia from self-harming and that was not your intent you asked me at the beginning is the intent suicide no it didn't that no, she didn't it they we got it was okay but it was you know, let's just deal with it. Let's not just go, no, don't do it. It's really dangerous. Let's deal with the fact they're going to do it because it's the only thing that helps them. So ultimately, the end goal is to give them an alternative to that, a healthier alternative. But in the interim period, let's deal with the fact that they are doing it and burying their heads in the sand is not going to stop them getting an infection. 
secondary school. And just be clear, I'm not blaming secondary schools. I don't think you can actually change this. But I didn't enjoy secondary school. Me neither. I had an awful teacher. Did I tell you about it? <laughs> <laughs> My kids aren't hugely enjoying secondary school either. Yeah. They're doing well in their classes. Academically, talking to teachers, it seems lovely. But the social side, it's like bully or be bullied. And I think it's, it's, if you have a conscience, you won't bully. So you're kind of choosing to be bullied, but you're not choosing. And what I think about, so I do a lot of processing in my head, come up with some weird things like the whole 90s thing, but that's me. Um, and if, if you don't like where you work, Ali, you'll change it. If you've got fed up with your neighbours, you'll move it. You'll move. Yeah. If you fall out with your loved one, you get a divorce. We'll move out. Stay in a hotel room for a week. Buy a shovel. Start digging a hole. <laughs> As an adult, you generally have a lot of options, a lot of choices. As a 12-year-old young person, what are your choices? You are legally required to be in school for 39 weeks a year. You have to kind of get on with your parents because you've got no choice. There is very little escape. There wasn't when I was growing up. And there certainly isn't now with social media. We're talking about bullying and, you know, what, what, what pushes people to self-harm and, and to, to move into eating disorders. One of the fundamental things is around self-worth and, and being bullied um, because, you know, you're not the super fit six-pack guy or the stunning supermodel girl or whatever. And, again, that's social media. But I remember when I was growing up, the only respite from being bullied, and yeah, I was, because I've, I've explained I couldn't read and write, which made everyone laugh, and I was also gay, and that was a no-go. They were still burning the sun in the t middle of town back then. Where I grew up, they probably still are. But my only respite was to get home as quickly as I could and be up in my room. Yeah. And once I was in my room with my music on, I was safe. I didn't have a phone, I didn't have a laptop, I didn't have anything. And, and a number of parents say, well, yes, but I don't know why they keep looking at their phone if they know people are going, could you, could you seriously not look at your iPad or your phone if you knew someone was really having a shot at you? But that's the thing. You didn't say I was in my house with my family, I was safe. No. You were alone in your home, and you're alone in your room, yeah. and you were safe. Not with anyone else. You don't, you don't, and that's the thing. So as a teenager, and I'm not, I'm not the best dad in the world, but I've learned so much from the people I talk to on these podcasts that I've really try and put into practice what I'm being told and I try and I sit there and I look at my kids and I go you've just got to get through this and that sounds horrible but there isn't anything else I can say to you because if I move you to another school it's going to be the same move you to another part of the country it's going to be the same there's nothing I can kind of get through because you are with people who don't think the same as you you are with people who are influenced by their parents, who are influenced by this, by that, by this, by that, who believe this. You know, and it, we're in a quite a nice area around here, but there are two secondary schools who have a rivalry. They've been going for 30 years and they meet up and have fights. You're like, you're secondary schools and you're having organised fights for 30 years. There's someone else involved doing this because that's like your parents going, well, we used to have a fight, so you've got to keep doing Where does this come from? How can it go for 30? So you have all this stuff going on and... I don't know if you can actually change it, but you kind of got to get through it. And it'd be interesting to know when you get 16, you could go out in the world, you could stop education, you could go off and do your own thing. You are free. You can go find your tribe, 
podcast coming up soon with uh, Ali. And you could do that, but you had to get to that point. Now you actually have to get to 18, but there's lots of other options, which hopefully makes it better. But then you can kind of, and it'd be interesting to know what, how much self-harm stops the moment you leave secondary school. I'm sure it, there's a dip, but here lies the problem. Everything you were talking about there, you know, they can't move home, they can't move schools, even if they did, it would be the same. The reason it would be the same is not the environment, but the emotion and the beliefs they have about themselves. So when we're working with people that self-harm or with eating disorders, I can't change where they live. I can't change the fact that they don't get on with their dad. I can change if they're being abused. Of course I can. I can step in, safeguarding, what have you. But there's an awful lot I can't change and they can't change. So I can't change the rest of the world to make it okay for them. What I can do is help them. I hate the damn word resilience. If at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. No. If at first you don't succeed, try again. Maybe try again, then try something different. Who knew, right? But what I can do is to get them to recognise the emotion that and the beliefs that they have about themselves that's allowing this to affect them. Now, remember I said in a previous podcast, hard one to swallow, but no one can make you think or feel anything you don't allow yourself to. And if you are allowing yourself to, my job as a therapist is to work with you to understand why. Why you believe that you should be bullied. Why you believe that this is okay. Why you believe that you are less than. That's my job. Now, if you can get these guys, and whether we're talking about anxiety or self-harm, eating disorders, if you can get to these guys, and that's what we're trying to do through getting to them in year one before this even begins, because it kicks off in puberty when we start to change tribes and crossroads or what else. If we can get to them that early, then, and if we can get to them when this starts before it gets out of hand and it doesn't become something they're dependent on to get through life, oh, it's okay if I have a bad day, I'll just cut myself worse, and we can get to the root of the problem, all behaviour service purpose, self-harming, eating disorders, a drug addiction, all of it's serving a purpose, alcoholism, serving a purpose. And it's the same as we were talking about in a previous podcast. It's like taking a pill. It numbs it. Yeah. It doesn't make it go away. So when they get to 16, 18, they can leave home. Are they going to cope better? Not unless they've dealt with those internal beliefs or emotional thoughts and feelings they have about themselves and their place in the world. No, they'll carry on doing it. They'll often get away from the direct issue, but... It was what we were talking about, about um, a trauma. Do you know that you've been really badly bullied at school? Okay, they're not at school now, and maybe they've moved away from that town or the family or whatever it is. So they've moved away from what happened. That's a time thing as well. It's like move, yeah. the trauma was back there, I've moved away. But what they've carried with them is what they now believe to be true about themselves. And, and that's why it carries on, even when you've moved away from the physical situation. And that's why we need to get to these guys. And an awful lot of therapy out there is based on changing your behaviour. So by the time I get to see people, parents have queued up at CAMH, and we've already discussed this, the stretch to the back teeth. Um, and CAMH, all sorts of therapies, but one everybody will know is CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. Do you know what? It's brilliant. It works for an awful lot of people. It must do as the NHS wouldn't keep throwing money at it. But if I've got someone in front of me that's self-harming and I try to get them to behave, change their behaviours, okay, maybe I will. Maybe 
Next time you feel like self-harming, and I'm not knocking this because this works and I do use it because I've trained in CBT. I did this with someone with self-harming a while ago. Next time you feel the need to cut or pull your eyebrows out, whatever it is, get an ice cube and just hold it in your hand. Because it's a sensation thing again. You're changing one sensation for another, but the ice cube isn't going to give you septicemia. I obviously don't say that, but yeah. it's it's replacing one sensation for another. That's a behavioural change. Will that wean them off self-harming? If you're really lucky, it will, and they're always around ice cubes. And, and you know, it sounds facetious, but you know what I'm saying? Hopefully it will. Over time, it will wean them off it. But you don't need to wean someone off it yeah. if you deal with what's caused it in the first place. There is a thing, if we go to autism, there is a high suicide level in autism. And, again, I read, not experience, I've read that certain people stim or they have their calming, they have their coping. No, you can't do that, you've got to do it this way, okay. So you've literally removed the release, but I've still got the cause of the distress, it's going to erupt. There's an awful lot to be said for CBT. It's a brilliant therapy, it helps an awful lot of people and it can be very, very powerful. I have a different approach, but, you know, yeah. check it out, guys, because it's got to be right for you and we're all very, very different. But, again, specifically, if we're talking about spectrum, autism, a lot of this is going to be sweeping statements because everybody's uniquely different even yeah. on the spectrum. But those guys, they do do emotions. They just do them differently to us. Yeah. So they don't express them in the same way. And, and sometimes they really just can't. They're just overwhelmed by this feeling or this voice in their head that, they cannot understand in the way that we can and we can rationalise. And and so self-harm is really, really high in the autism world as well, cutting when they're teenagers and they're watching YouTube and stuff. But seriously, how many parents out there have got an autistic child, child with learning disabilities, and when it gets too much and they're going to meltdown, you'll see them rocking, banging their head against the wall, hitting themselves. They're trying to create something physical to override and make them or free them, if only for a few seconds, from this huge emotional that they, they don't know how to express. So I suppose when we look at self-harm, I like simplifying things, it's my way thing, there's the, uh, there's the cause, there's the emotion attached, then there's the actual self-harm. Yeah. Um, and in reality, you, you kind of want to deal with the first two. But in reality, the biggest thing still is, is the emotion, isn't it? Because if you can't change the cause, you can change how it's perceived. You can change the emotions attached to it, which then will hopefully reduce the need to self. All behaviour, it's, it's, it's kind of a... When I'm sat in front of a client and I'm listening, and in my head, all the time, what's going through my head is all behaviour serves a purpose and it has a positive yes. intent. I remember saying that to some guys that work specifically with alcoholism and they don't use our model, they have their own model. Fine, good to learn. Um, and they said, <laughs> no, 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 I, I, it's not a positive intent. Alcoholism ruins families. It, yeah, and they reeled it all off and I said, I know that, yeah. It's not their intention. I know that, but at the time, what we do at any point in our life is we find ourselves in situations and we deal with it the best way we can with the information we have at that point in time. Yes. Now, a nine-year-old has different set of information to a 40-year-old, for example, which is why when we were talking earlier about looking back, you do things differently. But at any given point, all of us, mums and dads out there that maybe are kicking yourself for a decision you made, at the point you made that decision, you made the best decision with the choices you had at the time. Now, both of those choices 
might not have been great. So you chose the best out of the, the lot. And, and, and that's what these guys are doing. And that's what, you know, when you, you have that drink, if it made you feel better, it was all you could do at that time to make it go away. It was the best you could do at the time. Obviously, it's addicted, off you go. The problem is self-harming is addictive. It's addictive is, to the release, and that's when it gets dangerous. If you go to this certainty, uncertainty, is it goes back to if I self-harm, if I keep drinking, I know how I'm going to feel. But if I don't do that, what will happen? And it's that uncertainty. So will I do something else? And that's thing. sometimes we do decisions. Could I make this bold move and go there? Well, that's a lot of uncertainty. Shall I stay here and hope it will be all right? I, I think when you get to the point where you are physically harming yourself, cutting, pulling, bruising, burning, or, you know, starving yourself to death or whatever you're doing, at the point where you're physically harming yourself, I think you've gone beyond um, any logical way out of the situation. I think this is last ditch. I, there's nothing else. There's nothing else I can do. I can't escape this. There's nothing I can do to change it. I just need to numb it. And they're numbing it. You're helping them through your sort of, your work with them. You're hoping, you're helping them to see, you're helping them see things they can't see. All of us do it all the way through our life. We create a story. Nothing's real. You and I are sat here right now. We might agree on a few things. Um, your wall is grey. Uh, you've got soundproofing on that wall. There's a few things we'd agree. We've both got a mic in front of us and a headset on. Uh, you've got a beard. I haven't. <laughs> that we can agree on. But that's, you know, there's so much that we would never agree on as not in, you know, what our beliefs about the world and politics and religion, but about what's real and what's not. We create our own realities. You have taught me a lot about this. The why we the why we are the way we are podcast, which is the best three letter word title I've ever had on my podcast. <laughs> the why we are the way we are, and it is it is all these things shape your life, and you think I'm on a path, but you're not. You can do anything, but you don't know that. The, the, the yeah. problem is, and and you know, it's not just being a teenager or a child that you don't know. You were saying about the restrictions of being a teenager; you can't move away from home and what have you, but. You, you, you see it, you see it, you, we very rarely see it in ourselves. We see it in others very easily, don't we? Oh, why didn't she just leave him? She's better than that. Or this, we see it in others. Why don't they? Because we believe this is our lot, this is our reality. We don't know anything else. And although we'd like to know something else, change is scary because we don't know what that change is and then we're not in control and then we go back to podcast one, anxiety, and off we go. So we stay stuck. And, and there's, you know, sayings like you can't see the wood for the trees. A really good therapist won't tell you what to do. They'll just say, where are you? I'm in this forest and there's a blooming great tree in front of me and I can't see anything else. Here, let me just hold a torch. Now what can you say? Oh, there's a path over. Is there? I was, uh, I was watching uh, the fourth Matrix recently, which was released. Hey. <laughs> Have you seen that? No, I haven't yet. Take the blue pill. My trainer used to call me, God, what, what's not Neo? What's the other one? Morpheus. He was Morpheus. He used to call me Neo. And I didn't know what he was going on about because I'd never seen the Matrix. And now I'm very flattered. <laughs> <laughs> but it was in there. I won't, I won't give you any spoilers. So if you are listening to this at some point, like, ah! basically there is a line and it is um, sometimes people stop chasing after what they want because they're afraid of what they will lose. But the fear of what they lose is not necessarily something they want. Take a, a better way of putting this. It's, it's, I, I know, if, I, if I stay here with what I've got, it's certainty. 
And I could lose all of that and end up in a world where I have no idea what's going to happen. But what is certainty? It's if you if you talk about um, what's a good example of this depression. They're in a dark cave, and to you and me, it's like oh, just step outside, sun shining. Come on, you feel better. Go for a run. It's really good for you. Take this juice or these vitamins. You'll feel better. All that, right? It they, it might, and they might well believe you if you've done enough work with them and and got them to to recognise that actually behaviour serving the purpose and this is the emotional driver and we can work with this emotion because I'm in charge of it, then, you know, they, they might be quite accepting of the fact that if they step outside the cave, it could be better. But that's scary as hell because yeah. even though the cave's not a nice place, they know it. And if they know it, it's safe. Yeah. There's nothing else going to frighten them in this cave. They know it backwards. They know all the corners. But out there... And we're back to the control circles again. Yeah. And if you don't trust yourself to make the right decisions, the thought of walking away from something that's safe, no matter how uncomfortable. So it's why you don't tell someone to stop cutting yourself because they're just not going to hear you. Because it No, works. what they'll hear is, you're not helping me, you're not going to help me, you don't understand me. And you never could if you don't understand why I'm doing this. And I probably can't explain it to you, so I'm not going to bother. So then they become more withdrawn. I need to completely respect and accept that when somebody in front of me is cutting themselves, obviously there's loads of safeguarding there. I'd ask to see the cuts and make sure that I don't need to rush them off the hospital and God knows what else. And there's a whole other thing about have they told their parents and being under 18 and all that. That's another podcast. But once I've made sure they're, they're safe, if that's even a word, when you're harming yourself, yeah. then we can start to look at what they need to do but there's no point in me saying don't do it because they're going to keep doing it and next time they won't tell me they're doing it and they won't show me what i need them to do is if you go back to the, the cause the emotion that you cannot stop that if the other two are still there no. if you get rid of the cause the emotion is still there and, who, 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 and another cause could come on or it might not even need a cause because you're in that loop as you said you're in that loop and if of, you're sitting in front of a therapist and the therapist says to you Right, I know you've been self-harming, I know you think it's helping you, but right, listen to me, young man, right? I need you to stop doing that because it's dangerous um, and I need you to think about doing other things and think about other people. You've lost them, haven't you? But if I said, look, okay, thank you, that's huge trust that you, you've told me you're doing this, okay? Um, let me tell you my thoughts on this. That I think it's helping you in some way. I don't know how. And I could never know because I'm not you, but I, I, I believe it is helping you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it. Um, so I'm not going to ask you to stop. I'd love you to, but I'm not going to ask you to. But what I'm going to do is to try and help you understand why you're doing it, because if we can take away the reason, then you won't need to do it. But before we start, I need to make sure you're safe. Now, sometimes just by doing that, the number of kids that I've sat opposite that are seriously self-harming and I've done, I need to make sure you're safe, can you show me a cut? And they'll show me a cut, but not, not one of the bad ones. And I'll say, okay, have you heard of things like septicemia? Am I trying to frighten them? No. Yes. <laughs> because I'm not going to stop them self-harming. But what I don't want is while I've got them here with me looking to find a way through this, to not have that option because they've used a... Rusty razor or... It's like you said with that alcoholism. It's, it's no, there's no positive in here. It's like, right, at that moment, they're thinking of one thing. 
I want a bit of pain, I want a bit of release. They're not thinking about what are the consequences of this decision. They're not in that state. They're not going to think, oh, well, best, best go get this. It's, you, they just, they're not thinking about that. And the same with alcoholism. You're thinking about drowning things out, not what will tomorrow morning bring? What will, what's the impact of this? You're just need that release. So, yeah, so you help, you have to, I suppose, make them aware. I know, of, and parents freak at me. It's like, you know, some parents don't even know the kids are doing it. And then you have to have that conversation. But part of our self-care and procedures is, you know, any child I'm working with, I explain that, you know, everything we talk about, I've got an agreement with mum that I don't tell mum because you need to save space unless, and that unless is a long list, and it is, you know, them being in danger to themselves or anyone else, at which point I have to. And then you really know you've got rapport when a child then opens up that they're doing this because that means they've wanted to tell mum but couldn't, so now they're needing me to do it. So now we've got that trust thing, which is really, really important. That's the thing, I suppose, and I'll, I'll, we're going to talk about the tribe. That's our next podcast. And I think as a parent is, as a parent, you have a child and you probably look at their life, how it's, you literally have almost gone, you've got a, a, you've created that tunnel for them. They're going to do this. They're going to be a doctor. They're going to do this. They're going to do this. There's this. This tunnel's good enough for us. <laughs> <laughs> and you have this tunnel and then you get told, I'm self-harming. No, that's not in your tunnel. No, you shouldn't know. No, 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 that's not in your tunnel. Yes. That's the thing. And it's so, it's a sort of time again, this whole tribe thing, we'll get onto the next podcast. It's what you, what that parent's expectations are. The child, again, how that parent's react is nothing about the child. The reaction of the parent is about them. But, and, and again, that needs to be absolutely honoured. So one of the key things we do as part of our model is we will never just work with a child or a young adult. We work with their environment, and by that I mean the people that have an impact on it. So we work with mum and dad. We work with the teachers, the social workers, the foster and adoption carers, so that they know what we're doing with this child. And, it's you know, we're not busting confidentiality here, but we're, we're giving them the language that we're using so that they can carry on the message when we're not in the room with them. We're with them an hour a week, something like that. But the thing to recognise as well, you know, we're all focused on the fact this child is self-harming. That's my priority. But I also need to be really mindful of how that affects everybody else in the environment, how it affects mum, how it affects dad, how it affects the other siblings. The other siblings, oh, it's just attention-seeking, she's always been, you know, and that will send them off on one and create yeah. problems with them. Mum, dad, they might, I don't know, these are generalisations. I failed, I'm not good enough, I'm guilty. What will the neighbours say? What have they said at the golf club? All this sort of stuff. And there's all that going on. And if you can't deal with the whole family, but to deal with them as individuals as well, because just because you're husband and wife doesn't mean I deal with you in the same way. A classic example of that is um, a a little lad that I'm working with. I'm sure mum will know who I'm talking about when I say it. I'm sure she won't mind. Gorgeous, gorgeous little man. Um, He's autistic, but uh, he was diagnosed uh, fetal alcohol. Um, syndrome and I you know mum's fighting the world to get him the support she needs Um, dad's absolutely supportive and a lovely lovely guy but I remember talking to dad once and it was really interesting because I was making sure I understood mum's hopes and fears because they're really relevant because they're relevant to how she'll react with this young lad and how she copes because she's, she's his coping mechanism so we've got to keep her afloat you know she's really really important and, and I remember chatting to Dad, and it was lovely, and I was so damn privileged that 
he was able to say, you're going to think really bad of me, but I'm going to say it because I feel I can. He's never going to play rugby with me, is he? And, you know, I did feel really privileged that this huge guy could sit there and he said, don't get me wrong, I love him, I'd kill for him. But I'm having to come to that's terms that with... Tunnel, that's the thing, as a parent, you have these, I did this with my dad, I can't wait. You have these things and that it's, it's about them. It's not about the child, it's just, it's... And, if and I get when, it. When you were growing up was, you know, someone bullied you at school, lit them back, son, or, you know, you don't like being fat and them laughing at you, lose some weight. What, whatever your reality and your tunnel for coping strategies with you got through, yeah, it was horrible. You'll forget that bit, but you hope your kids have got the resilience to get through it so you don't go through the pain you went through. They found a different way. And then you feel really, really helpless because nobody wants to watch their child hurt themselves. It's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, it's horrible. But one of the things I, I do find when a lot of time with parents, you have a pilot, and it is often the mum who's really fighting for it, and the dad is the backup. It's generally, it's not, it's generally rarely two parents fully going for it. There's always one leading and one supporting. And I think that person, partly, it's not that they don't care. I think it's sometimes they sit there and go, well, you're fighting. I need to look after you. Very, very dear friend of ours um, has a teenage son and... She's ferocious, fighting to get him a placement that works for him, works for them as a family. And, yeah, she's she's the one in the ring. Yeah. Her husband's a very capable man and you wouldn't want to mess. Um, always had very high-powered jobs. And, and, and she's best placed because of her temperament to deal with this and to be in the room and have these arguments to go through the detail that she needs to overrule these idiots when they've missed it. She's the best placed person for this fight. What he does, because if you looked at it from the outside and you didn't know, you'd think, he's leaving her to it. No, he's not. No. He's working all the hours, so they've got the money for the lawyers that they need to do that. He's there supporting her. He's backing her up. He's taking lots of things away from her so she can focus on this. And sometimes you sit there and going... Be everything that she needs him to be so that she can focus on what she needs to focus on. And it's a team effort, but, you know, in every team you have different players. Think about a rugby team. You have big fat guys, not anymore, but big fat guys that used to be props, the tall guys, second row, and the really fast ones in the back. You need all of them to win a game. And it's the same in a relationship. And if you get that balance right, it's a formidable team. My sister and her husband are just like that. She's the one in the seat. She's the one in the room going for it. And he is there. And... Yeah, he could repeat, but yeah, he's learned. He doesn't need to. She's saying it, and she's saying it strongly, loudly, clearly, with the detail. And he is there supporting. He's there looking after her. And it because it, it is so draining fighting for your child in these situations, isn't it? Going into these meetings, especially it's you versus the local authority and everyone else fighting for your child. If you both drained out, it's not going to. So in reality, back to my pilot thing. If the if the yeah. pilot crashes and the co-pilot, so the co-pilot, so he's there to look after her yeah. after that meeting. And it is, so yeah, don't sit there going, when you see these, go, oh, well, he's not, he is. Oh, he is. He is, but he's just learned that she might be the best person to do this, or vice versa, because no sometimes it's yeah. the dad. No shrimps, isn't it? But yeah, and it, it is a team effort. But and sometimes you don't want to wake the other, you don't want to wake the co-pilot. When, you, when you're talking about self-harming, I mean, we haven't really hit on eat, eating disorders, maybe that's a separate podcast and deserves to be so, but 
you know, everyone says, what's that about? Is it about body image? Is it about being body beautiful? Maybe. But again, if you drill down, it's about control and complete lack of control. And a lot of the guys, the yeah. girls and guys that I work with that um, are anorexic, they're not doing it because they want to be body beautiful. Yes, when they look in the mirror, they still think they're huge when you can see that they're getting near the point of organ collapse. But it's the only thing they can control. I think that is a separate podcast on its own. I think that thing. is. I think you've just nailed your next podcast topic. Oh, great. But if, if we come back to self-harming and you look at the environment, you know, I need to be very aware of how mum is coping and feels about the fact that their child feels no option but to... And, and you can't help it. You will. You'll feel a myriad of emotions. And again, I'm generalising because I don't know. It's different every time. You'll feel grief. You'll feel helplessness. Why can't she talk to me? Why has she told you and not me? Or he? It's not yeah. just girls that self-harm. And dads, dads naturally, you know, they're the protectors, aren't they? Yeah. You know? What's upsetting my... Why? If I can't punch it, hit it, yell at it, scream at it and make it go away, then I am demasculated. I can't... I, I yeah, feel... that's the thing. It is, if you're self-harming, it's like, well, you should have just punched them. It's, it's yeah, it's, sometimes it is... No, you, blokes don't have emotions. It's a control thing again, isn't it? You yeah. need to be able to do something. It's when we can't do something because we don't know what to do, we feel out of control. So then what you've got is, well, I've got a teenager that's self-harming for whatever reason, and I've got a mum that just think she's the worst mum in the world, and a dad that is killing himself because he can't fix this. Yeah. And, and again, they're generalisations. That, that's a possible scenario of a family situation. Also, generational thing, dad who's killing himself because he can't solve it doesn't know how to communicate that, doesn't understand how he's feeling sometimes. He might just come across as angry and shouty. And do you know what happens then? It's a really interesting thing. And again, this is a generalisation, but hopefully you'll get my point. You know, he can't, he, he doesn't know how to communicate this because boys haven't been allowed to cry or talk about their emotions, although that is changing, thank God. Um, so what he'll do, he'll go out and he'll probably drink too much and he might eat something just to make it sell better for a little while. Which is, sounds a bit like self-harming, indirect and direct. So I've been paying attention. <laughs> It's, it's a horrible situation to find yourself in, but I guess the message is be aware. Parents, at schools, schools are doing some lovely work now to make teachers aware of what to look out for. Yes, a change of clothing, a child change of behaviour. So they're outgoing, now they're not, they're withdrawn, they're not getting involved. A classic one is they're not wanting to do sport, be in the changing room, go swimming, stuff like that. Mums, you know your kids. Dads, you know your kids. Do you know what? As a therapist, I'd rather get a phone call ten times because you're afraid your child's self-harming and they're not, then for you to not make the call and they are. Yeah. So Safeguarding you know is you always got to be on the side of they are. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? No one knows your kids better than you. So if something's changed, the behaviour's changed, they're more reclusive, uh, their eating habits have changed, they're just missing meals or saying they're not hungry. Do you know? You know. The moment something changes, just watch. You don't need to, oh, my God, the self-harming and hit the red button. Just watch. Be aware. If you have that kind of relationship, say, hey, you know, you're not your normal self at the moment. What's going on? And then, and this is really, really hard, if you have the kind of relationship where you either walk in and realise they're self-harming or you're, you're lucky enough that they say, well, actually, you know, I am eating mum, but then I'm being sick or no, no, I'm really worried about it. If you can have that open conversation... It's really, really hard, but don't judge. And yeah. telling them don't do it isn't the answer because 
they're not doing it because they want to. And don't judge. Sounds simple. It's so hard. Which is why so we hard. why we need to work with the whole family because you know as a therapist I don't I don't move in with someone once they come to me as a client. So I'm probably with them once a week. I try to be with them as little as possible because I want them to be able to survive without me as quickly as possible because otherwise I become the next crutch. Yeah. At the moment, self-harm is a crutch. I don't want to be the next crutch. I want them to be able to do this on their own. So we're really, really big on working with mum and dad, the rest of the other siblings as well, to help them to not so much cope with the individual that's self-harming, like what you do is make sure they're good, but to deal with their own stuff in relation to what's happening. Because if, if they're in a good place, then it makes it easier for the person that is not in a good place to feel safe, if that makes sense. And the final thing I just want to end on is if your child is self-harming mm-hmm. and you go, well, what caused you to do this? And they say this incident. And you get them moved to a different school, different class. You buy them things. You get them really... Not a single one of them is dealing with the emotion... No, if you're lucky, that might solve it, you know. But it's with everything. All behaviour serves a purpose. It's driven by an emotion. If you try and change the behaviour without getting to what's driving that behaviour, you might be successful for a little while, but it will come back. It might change form, but it will come back. That's why in our model specifically, I talk about a tree. Imagine a tree. Well, imagine my hand being a tree. So I'm holding my arm up now, people, and I'm wriggling my fingers. And my fingers are the branches, and they're all the behaviours. So it might be self-harming, might be an eating disorder, it might be high-level anxiety, whatever, not sleeping, all those things. And if I just try and change the behaviour by giving them alternatives, if my rapport's good and the child's very susceptible, great! (laughs) They'll change their behaviour. But the problem is that behaviour's been driven from the root of my tree, and that's an emotion. So unless I deal with that emotion, that weed's going to keep growing. And that's why our therapy is a lot faster and a lot more effective than an awful lot of therapies out there because we're dealing with the right part of the problem. Now, see, I think people forget the emotions. They try and remove them from the problem. They try and do that. But it is, there's a long-term effect. So we, I did a podcast with Finton recently on bullying. And, um, and the same thing I saw on Facebook is let's call bullying what it really is, abuse. And when we think of abuse, there's emotional, sexual, physical, neglect. And and generally, the bullying falls into the emotional, sexual, and physical. And it is. It's long-term. And generally, all of these can lead to trauma, which is emotional. And, yeah, you can put them on a lovely beach. You can stick them there. You can take them to Disney. You can move them to a new school. You can buy, paint their bedroom. That emotion's not changing. Now, what you might end up is a little thing. So... Bad things happen to me, I get new things. That's a whole other pain. But we'll end it there. (laughs) But yeah, no, um, yeah, self-harm, three things. The cause, the emotion, then the self-harming. The emotion is the cause. The emotion is driving the behaviour. Change the behaviour, good luck. Change the emotion, you won't need the behaviour. So just be alert, be visual, don't, you know, don't panic, not all your children self-harming because they disappeared in the bedroom, they're teenagers, you don't want to know. But just be aware, just notice, and you will notice as a parent, as a teacher, you'll notice changes in their behaviour, their interactions, their dress sense, 
taking care of themselves? Are they still doing that? Is their hair washed, brushed, stuff like that? The moment that all starts to deteriorate or change in any way, I'm not saying it's self-harming, but I'd say something's bothering them. So just be aware. Thank you once again, Ali. No worries. Thank you. So we'll be putting some links to show notes, the Mind website, which has self-harm information on. Um, that'll be in the show notes. So on our website or um, wherever you listen to the podcast, you'll find the show notes. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can go to our website, www.thesendcast.com, and you will find links to all the different platforms we're on. And if you're a social person, if you like being on the Twitters and the Facebooks, you can follow us on Twitter at The Sendcast, and on Facebook and Instagram, we are The Sendcast. And if you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics, anything else, be on here, anything you want, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And as usual, I'm going to talk about the Virtual Send Conference because I love it. I'm passionate about it. It's why we started it. Um, and the Virtual Send Conference is a conference we started in 2019 as a way of getting CPD around SEND to all staff. So a lot of the things we're talking about today sometimes sits on the Senko shoulders, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everybody has, they have to be aware of safeguarding. So all teachers do. They all need to be aware of what to look for and things to look out of. But so, Senko, yeah, Senko, they're, they're the guys that uh, go to. In reality, every teacher needs to know a lot of the stuff we talk about in this podcast because SEN's 20% of the population, things like that. So it is huge and they can't afford to get it. So the Sencast and the virtual Sencast is great because it's an affordable way of getting training to all staff. We run a conference every year in May. There are 12 sessions really designed to help classroom-based practice and help teachers. Um, and you can buy tickets for future or past events. The videos are always available, and you can find all the events on our website. Um, and the website for the Virtual Send Conference is www.trainingforeducation.com. Okay, and as a listener to the Sendcast, we offer you a 10% discount just using the code Sendcast10 with no spaces. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. Goodbye from me. Take care and stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye.